The sermon passage for today is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. I want to thank you for the truth of what the verses we just heard. I want to thank you for the truths and the songs we just sang together. Lord, I pray now as we dig into your word, you make your truth real to us. Make yourself big before our eyes. Help us to see you for who you are, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Ben Morrow. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And for the next three weeks or so, some of us guys will be pinch hitting for Pastor Jamie um, as he, well, takes a little break. So we'll um, be filling in. And we're going through an ongoing series that we come back to from time to time here at Redeemer. It's called Psalms, Prayers, and Songs. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 46. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 46, and we'll return to that passage in just a moment. I want to talk to you this morning about the theme, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. So I want to start this morning with something kind of off the wall. This last Christmas, I was given a new phone. Um, Well, it's new to me. It's not a new phone. It's a new phone new to me. I'm, I'm, our family are never these, the types to get the next, next thing as soon as it comes out. We're laggards that way. We just always have been. My wife's mom, on the other hand, is always the first to get something. She loves to go get the next um, new gadget. And so one of the things she does to bless our family, actually, my wife's sisters and herself and, and us in-laws, she likes to go get, give away her older phone to whoever she thinks needs it the most so she can go get the newest one. But it's also a blessing to us. So this year, I was the lucky recipient because my phone was so bad. It was pretty old. Um, so I've, this is the first time I've owned an iPhone, actually. So I've I'm, I'm been getting to know it. I, I enjoy it. It's user-friendly. Love it. There's only one downside to it. I mean, I've got this nice little case for it. I enjoy it. It looks nice and masculine. The only downside is that whenever my mother-in-law picked out her original color... She picked rose gold. <laughs> I have a pink phone. I don't care what Apple calls it. That is a pink, a pink phone. Um, what's that? Hence the case. Big case covers it up. Absolutely. You got it. Um, the thing I like about this case, actually, is it, it does cover it up pretty well. So, and this is something she and I have had a good laugh about. This is not to to put her um, color choice down or anything, but um, it's not the one I've chosen. But I enjoy the phone. I'm happy for it. Why do I bring that up? I think when we get into the Old Testament, 
Um, it's, easy, it's easy for us in the New Testament to see Christ. He's there. He's on the very pages. We've got narrative about Jesus. We can see what he's doing. And I think sometimes when we go to the Old Testament, he might be a little more difficult to see. I think the point of my illustration here is just to show that just because it might be a little difficult to see, you might not see the pink of my phone right here, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means it might be a little more, you have to do a little searching to find it. Um, when we get into Psalm, when we go to the Psalms and here in Psalm 46, I want us to have this in the back of our mind. When we talk about God, we're not just talking about some Old Testament version of God that is detached from Jesus. We're not talking about somebody different. We're talking about the God of the Bible that we can't divorce Jesus from. We actually go to the Old Testament with the understanding that the entire group of scriptures that we have point to him. They were given to guide us that direction. They are about him. Um, I think of different instances in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in the New Testament, where Jesus specifically makes statements saying the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings like Psalms pointed directly to him. One instance would be in John chapter 5, where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And he says to them, if you remember, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but they are that which speak of me. He's talking about the Old Testament there. So the Old Testament, as we dig into the Psalms here, and we talk about how God is our refuge, I don't want us just to think of God in some sort of cosmic, detached, fatherly, but distant sort of way. We talk about God and who he is because of Jesus. And God is, as we're going to see in this psalm, our habitation. He is God with us. And he is God with us because of Christ. So we never approach these scriptures apart from that vision that, that this is because of Jesus. And Jesus is here even in the Old Testament. So none of the truths about God in the Psalms are divorced from his son. So as we look at Psalm 46 this morning, um, we see that God is our refuge. We see that Jesus is here. Jesus is the one we run to for refuge. This psalm references the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord who does battle. You want to go to the New Testament to see that in action. Think of a, a, a passage like Revelation where it's Jesus himself who is who is the one who is described as the one who conquers and defeats tyrants and brings in everlasting peace. He is the Lord of hosts himself. So the text that Kimberly read for us a moment ago begins with a wonderful declaration of who God is. Psalm 46 was written by a group of psalm writers called the Sons of Korah. You might see that designation there at the beginning of your psalm in the scripture, the Sons of Korah. If you remember who Korah was in the Old Testament... He wouldn't be someone you might think would father a generational line of psalm writers. Korah was the one who led a rebellion against Moses in Numbers chapter 16. If you remember that instance, the Lord sent a plague on the people who rebelled against Moses. Then he opened up the earth and swallowed their tents and people with them. And then he sent fire down on Korah and the other people who led the rebellion. God issued his judgment against these people for um, the rebellion that they led. So you wouldn't necessarily think that maybe his line would, be, um, would produce a group of psalm writers, but it did. God, God did not hold Korah's sin against 
um, the family generationally, but actually you see God's grace where the sons of Korah were faithful Levites. They were people from the Levitical tribe who spent their time writing psalms that have lasted for us even today. When you look at Psalm 46, you see three small sections. You can easily divide it up. Where you look for the word Selah, S-E-L-A-H there. You can see it three different times. It's three easy divisions there. This was a song that they wrote, and these were divisions where the psalm then asked the people to stop and consider what had, be, what had been sung. So we're going to look at these three sections real quickly and then talk about how these things lead to the main idea that God is our refuge. So in the first section, verses 1 through 3, notice that God's protection is our peace. God's protection is our peace. In other words, God's strength is the answer to our fear. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. That could also be read a well-tested or a well-proved help. A very present help in trouble. God is. Now, whenever the Bible says God is, or whenever God makes the statement, I am, it's important for us to stop and step back for a second because God is saying something very important. And somebody here might be going, okay, you're talking about the first two words of the text. We're going to be here forever. We're going to keep moving. But this is one important point I think we need to look at. I am in the scripture or God is, I am speaks to God's changeless eternality. He exists as the unchangeable, everlasting God. We sung about this, this earlier. Those attributes, those characteristics that make up who he is, his attributes exist as a never-changing dependability. He always is who he was, he always is who he is, and he always will be who he is. He does not change. He's dependable. So when you hear that God has been a well-proved help in time of trouble, I can hear that and go, he always has been. He is and he always will be a help in time of trouble. So we start by with taking these promises that God gives us with the basis, with the foundation of who God is. Start there. Start with his character and then listen to his promises. His love is everlasting. His mercy endures forever. His faithfulness knows no end. His kindness toward us is eternal. His salvation is sure. Or as Moses put it in Deuteronomy chapter 33, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. A fortress, this fortress that we're talking about in Psalm 46, is only as good as what it can withstand. So if the eternal God is our fortress, our refuge, look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, thinking back to verse 1, who God is, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Stop and meditate. Think about it. One day, if it hasn't happened yet, it will. One day you're going to feel like the earth is giving way. One day you're going to come across a trial you never saw coming and you're going to, you're going to experience something that hurts far worse than you ever thought could 
And it's going to feel completely out of your control. And my question for you then is, what is your recourse going to be when that day comes? What do you do when the earth feels like it's falling underneath you? How can you say like the psalmist that you won't fear though the mountains are moved into the sea when the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at the constant pounding of the surf? How how can you say that? What do you do in those very real moments of anxiety and fear? In those moments of helplessness when you feel completely out of control, when you feel attacked or defeated, those moments when you feel un fulfilled or or deprived or unloved, like you're floundering without an anchor or a rudder, without any grounding or without any direction, when your greatest dreams go unrealized? What is that one thing you keep hoping and praying for that never seems to come? When that happens, do you lose your faith? Or do you run to the only one true refuge we have? This is where we need to remember who God is. Why does the psalmist say we will not fear though our world falls apart around us? Because this strong, eternal, never-changing, all-merciful, loving, gracious God is our shelter and our rock, our fortress, our place to hide and our place to find safety. God is our refuge. God is our place of safety. God is in complete control. God sets our path straight. God is our protector. When we face danger, he is our defender. When we lose control, he never stops guiding us with perfect insight and perfect power. When we are disoriented, he is our wisdom. When the storms rage, he is our shelter. Because he is the one protecting us, we can find peace in the middle of the storm. So his protection is our peace. Second, notice that God's habitation is our hope. God's habitation is our hope. Look at verses 4 through 7. They tell us that because God himself dwells with us continually, we're safe and we will not be moved. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. This is an absolute promise here. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This peaceful river spoken about here is juxtaposed against all that language about crashing waters and mountains being moved into the sea. The idea is that with all the uncertainty and the chaos around us that would threaten us, we have a sure and solid peace because God's presence is always with us. We are God's people. The New Testament calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit the dwelling place of God. God lives with us, and it's his presence that makes all the difference. I don't think it's wrong to make application this way. In fact, I think it's biblical to say this. Redeemer, you are the habitation of the Most High God. His presence is with you. It's with us. And because of that, 
you shall not be moved. And in these words, God will help you when morning dawns. Sometimes it feels like morning is a long time coming, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like it never comes. You wait and you pray, you pray and you wait, and you're tempted to lose hope, and you begin to believe that God doesn't hear your cries, and then morning dawns. We spoke earlier about knowing who God is. God's word is an extension. It's a perfect expression of who he is. When God speaks, things change. Worlds start spinning. Stars start shining. Inanimate objects begin breathing. When God speaks, dead men come to life. Spiritually dead sinners come awake. Rebels begin to follow him. Hearts of stone become hearts of flesh. When God speaks, aimless lives find hope. The text tells us that when God speaks, kings are set up and kings are dethroned. Nations wars against nations. Recent news events make this pretty evident, don't they? Armies set themselves ready for battle. Men of prominence rage and swagger and bluster and talk and posture and flex They make war and topple kingdoms. God utters his voice and the earth melts. Why do we not fear though governments and armies rage at one another? Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's verse 7. Selah, meditate on this. The God of the greatest angelic armies imagined. The God who does whatever he wants by the word of his power. The God whose mercy and favor endures forever has set you in his sights and determined that he's going to be with you. The Lord of hosts fights for us. You remember the story of the Syrian army that had Israel surrounded in 2 Kings chapter 6? You remember that story? Israel was surrounded and the, the servant of Elisha saw the armies coming and they were They were, um, he was afraid. Listen to verses 15 through 17 of 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now the servant could have looked at Elisha and said, what are you talking about? All I see is an invading army. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of chariots, full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Lord of hosts fights for his people. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we are full of faith that day or whether we are not. The Lord is faithfully fighting for his people. The God of Jacob is our fortress, our strong tower, our refuge, our helm's deep. He's that unshakable place of defense. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The Lord of hosts is with us. That doesn't mean that he's stopping in for a visit. That doesn't mean he'll answer a prayer now and then if you bother him enough. 
to get him off, get us off his back. That's not what he means. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's, his dwelling place is with us. Our God, our captain, our protector, our defender lives here with us. We are his dwelling place. We are the ones who've been granted eternal access to his presence. And I want to say that he has never left you. I might want to argue that point sometimes. There, there are times where it feels like, really, has he really never left me? It's a strong statement because there's so many times where it feels like we pray and God's nowhere around. Where was God in my most vulnerable moments? Protecting you from things you didn't see? Where was God when I needed him most? Closer than you realize. Let's be honest. We often like to think of ourselves as pretty independent and self-sufficient. We spend more time posturing for other people than we'd ever like to admit. We, we want others, we want ourselves to think like we've got a plan, we're working that plan, we're smart, we're capable, we're gifted, we're reliable, we're strong, we're that next great thing. And the truth is, we are unbelievably vulnerable. The truth is, it's a, it's a miracle, I believe, that we're even here this morning. I mean, in a way, we should be congratulating each other. Congratulations, you made it this morning. I'm 39 years old and I haven't been hit by a beer truck yet. I haven't caught Ebola. I haven't been struck by lightning. And that sounds a little bit silly, but think about it. We, there are so many things that are outside of our control. We don't want to think about those things. We want to feel in charge. And yet, that's not the reality. The reality is on our own, we are vulnerable. I can make all the plans I want. I could be the best strategist you've ever seen. I could have insight beyond my years and then go home tonight and choke on a chicken leg and that would be it. People would be saying, hey, you remember that Ben guy? Yeah, I think he choked on a chicken bone. That's it. We're vulnerable. We're mortal. And some of our biggest fears could be boiled down to facing what we don't want to admit, and that is we are not in control. I have no desire this morning to feed into someone's anxiety, okay? But I think understanding the reality of where we are can cause us to rightly, correctly, run to the one who is in control. To understand what it means to rest in God's peace though the storm rages around us. Our faith is not in our self-ability. Our faith is not in our own strength. The scriptures teach us this throughout. We don't rely on our own strength. We give ourselves over to one who is truly strong. And fights on our behalf. He knows how much we need him. He knows we need him to give us our next breath. I can't do that on my own. He does it. He knows that. It's when the trouble comes when we really remember. When we really have to face this. But he's faithful all the way through. The good news for us 
The gospel that we preach about can be summed up in the fact that Jesus Christ came to be our deliverer when we could not deliver ourselves. He came to rescue us before we even recognize just how dire our need is. He came to bring us the life that we could never have on our own. Our sin has separated us from God. It has cut, off, cut us off from everything that is good and righteous and pure. Instead, we're sick. Instead, we're diseased. We're spiritually dead. We're numb to what is beautiful. And we run after our own selfish desires that can never satisfy us. We're vulnerable and exposed. We're mortal. We're finite. We're defenseless. We're weak. We're helpless. We're feeble. We hurt ourselves and we stomp all over those who love us the most with our selfishness and our habits and our attitudes and our self-destructive behaviors. We take the spark of life and we trade it for fool's gold. It's like the Lord said to Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've traded the fountain, the eternal, evanescent fountain of life for broken cisterns that can't even hold water. We search for more and more and it never satisfies. We give our lives to ideas of self-realization and grandeur that turn to dust in our mouths. Everything we try is just another example of how much we fail to fill that giant void that our sin and our separation from God has left inside of us. We turn to vices and hobbies to fill the gaps. Careers or chemicals, golf or gambling, or that perfect person who doesn't exist. Reaching the top position in our field, manipulating others for our own gain, owning more toys and luxuries than we'd ever dreamed, pushing to always be the best, being the center of attention in every room you walk into, always looking beyond for fulfillment. Jumping from one party to the next or one, one place of pleasure to the next. And still it's never enough. We're hypocrites. We are broken, cowardly hypocrites who posture and preen. We want the world to think that we have the ideal lives while we grow lonelier on the inside. We were made for something more. We were made for the glory of God. We were created to know God. We were created to find ourselves in him, to be forever hidden in his glory, shining like the stars reflecting his radiance. And our sin ruins all that. It's all gone. We're born broken into a broken world, as broken as everyone else around us. We're ruined for what we were created to be. And that's why Jesus came. He came to completely rebuild it all for us. He came to live the perfect life in our place that we could never live. He came to bleed and die for the sin that we could never pay for. He came to absorb the wrath of God that was turned against us for our sin so that we could go free. He came to conquer our enemy, death, by his own resurrection from the dead. He came to restore our way back to God 
so we could plug back into that life source that our sin had wrenched us out of. He came so that we could have life, that we could have real life, and that we could have it abundantly. And what he requires for us is one thing, faith. Running to him for refuge. He didn't die so that we could be strong enough to figure it out on our own. He didn't die so that we could carve out for ourselves some semblance of a nice life on our own. He came to be our refuge, our hiding place. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the theme, the celebration in this psalm that the sons of Korah keep bringing us back to. You see in verse 7, you see in verse 11, the God of angel armies fights for us. The God of covenant is our hiding place. Finally, real quickly, notice that God's sovereignty is our serenity. God's sovereignty is our serenity. The psalmists are asking us here to stop, look, and listen. Look at verse 8. Come, behold. That word behold, you actually sang it in the first song we sang this morning. Behold, it means to stop and focus on a single thing or idea. Focus on it. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The exhortation here is to stop. To be still. It's hard, isn't it? It's awkward. We're busy. We got things to do. We got the next thing. I don't have time to stop. Be still. Wait on the Lord. Learn to be quiet. Learn to have a mind and heart of peace before the Lord. Learn to listen for his voice as you remember his word. Learn to quietly think about who God is rather than everything else clamoring around you, demanding your attention and your focus. It says that God is the one who breaks the bow and burns the chariots with fire. You want that in modern terms? God is the one who brings down reaper drones and ballistic missiles. God's the one who utters his voice and kingdoms change. Let's be still and let's remember who he is and what he's promised us. Let's determine to be at peace before him and to learn what that means, to find that serenity of spirit and heart as we hide in him for shelter. Run to him for peace. Glory in the fact that he's God and I'm not. That's an amazing thing. That's fantastic news, that he's God and I'm not. I'll let him have charge over my life. He knows how to bring joy out of sorrow, and he knows how to give peace in the middle of the storm. He knows how to rule and direct in a perfect and a loving way. So these verses call us to look back at the works of God, 
so we will stop and acknowledge that he alone stands supreme over everything we have to be afraid of. And that we will be left with the comfort that this God that we've talked about stands ready to blaze our path in front of us and will forever be our never-failing hiding place. He will be exalted among the nations. This is a certainty. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's just stop for just a moment and meditate on that and allow our hearts to be at peace under his sovereign rule. Pray with me for just a moment, please. Father in heaven, as one man said, we're like children playing marbles with diamonds. These are wonderful truths that you've given us. These are life-changing, heart-altering truths that you've given us. And I pray that we would embrace them. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to love you for who you are. And help us to take advantage of what you've determined to be for us. Our peace, our rest, our rock, our refuge, our strong tower. We thank you that we have all this in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.